Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Taking our children to have vaccinations is one of the least enjoyable and most stressful parts of parenting. We know these medical procedures are in their best interest long term, but it's gut-wrenching, inflicting any kind of pain, fear or anxiety onto our children. My guest today has spent her professional career investigating how we can make necessary interventions like vaccinations, blood tests, less traumatic for children and their parents. Dr. Jodie Thomas is a clinical psychologist, healthcare educator and internationally recognized expert in pain and pediatric health. She's the founder of the Meg Foundation for Pain, a non-profit initiative designed to give parents and children the tools to deal with pain. Jody, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, When I first heard about what you did, I was amazed that I hadn't heard of you before because it is one of these things that, you know, it's very difficult as a parent to sort of try to persuade either babies or then toddlers who have more of an idea of what's going to happen. And to be honest, even sort of the preteens that um, not to be scared of, of having needles um, inflicted on them. Um, I've been sort of slightly telling them that, you know, they need to do it sometimes holding them down when they were little, but uh, I suspect that is not the way to do it. Well, we definitely have other ways to do it that can be helpful and useful, but you are most definitely not alone. That is the approach that most people take, which is really what led us to to have the foundation and really work to empower parents and kids and families on how they can do this better, stronger, faster. And in terms of sort of needle phobia or certainly hesitancy, I'm kind of unsure when that line is crossed because I don't think there was ever a child who was like, hit me up with the needle. I'm (laughs) totally fine with it. Um, It's something that we do need to address. I mean, you certainly don't want it turning into a phobia, do you? No, you don't. So actually needle fear, which is often the phrase we use because phobia has sort of a very clinical definition. But when we look at the research, it would tell us that even in adults, I know you mentioned like kids and toddlers and preteens, but also partners and friends who don't get medical care, um, because one in four adults have significant enough needle anxiety to avoid healthcare decisions, 50% of teenagers, there's a lot of teenagers who definitely can fight back if you decided to try to hold them down, and then 63% of kids. So that is a tremendous amount of the population. But as you pointed out, we don't talk about this enough. And while no one loves them, like the phrase we'll often use is whether they strike terror in your heart or you're just not a fan, there are definitely ways to make this better. Absolutely. Um, And no, I think you're absolutely right. And we also live in an age where, you know, my children are 10 and 12 and they're having conversations around consent at school. And it's quite difficult because on the one hand, I'm like, consent is really important. You have to understand what it is. Don't do anything unless you absolutely want to do it. I'm like, apart from vaccinations. (laughs) So it's an important conversation to, to have. No, it is. It is a really important conversation. And we talk about that with with kids, because again, consent is a big deal. What we really want to encourage is our own bodily autonomy, that we have power and control over our body and our experience. And so that's what a framework that we use a lot with these tools and strategies is about them having more strength and autonomy over themselves and their body. And so I tell kids all the time and I tell families all the time, I want you to make this decision for you, but not fear to make this decision for you. And when it comes to needles and procedures, we know that fear makes that decision. 
because even with that 60%, 63% of kids with that fear, we know those parents, um, they actually start making medical decisions based on the fear of that freak out around the needle, then what's on the best medical advice from their doctors or their medical team, which again, makes sense of ultimate empathy for that. It's incredibly difficult to feel like you're infect- inflicting pain. And again, when we're also teaching kids, don't let anyone touch your body, you get to have the right and the choice but you're going to come here and do this thing you don't really want to do. And we really kind of frame it and was having this conversation yesterday that this is on a list of things that we don't love, but are necessary to keep us healthy and strong. And so that as parents, our ultimate job is to keep you safe and healthy. And unfortunately, we know we don't love it, but this is a really important way to do that. And so we might be able to give you a little more leeway on what you're wearing or whether or not the room's clean or whether or not you want to give Aunt Bessie a hug. But this one, we can't really have a lot of wiggle room because this is about your safety and well-being. And even small kids can understand that. But it is really important to be able to put that into the conversation that this isn't a casual use of, you know, parental power that this is truly about them setting the stage for their long-term health and well-being. That it's not only about this one event when they're three, five, eight, 10, 17, but it's really about their long-term health. But we can draw that picture. It makes us feel better as parents that we're not just doing this for fun, right? (laughs) And, but it truly does help their understanding of how important this is for their health and well-being. And presumably this is a conversation that's not had the day before you're going to the doctor to have the vaccines. This is something that is kind of a continuing conversation, you know, ideally months, if not years before they're going to need to have their vaccines. So that by the time they're in that situation, this isn't a new idea. They know and they have it in the back of their head that actually this is really important. Exactly. So this isn't, or even more, because we have a lot of parents who don't bother to mention it until we're, I don't know, in the parking lot at the pediatrician's <laughs> office, and, which is our number one thing. I hear about this all the time. And I understand the instincts. I do. And parents are like, I don't want to get them worked up. And I always say, I'm like, look, picture your biggest work meeting of your life, but no one told you until two minutes before. It is not going to go well. So it is about that prep. It is about also the language that we use to frame this experience. So like the language that we'll use around some of these things. So we call it like magic medicine. We get to go to the doctor and get magic medicine to keep you healthy and strong is very different than we have to go to the doctor and you have to get a shot. And I know you're not going to like it. Sorry that those two are really different, right? And even, you know, I had a patient at one point who uh, had to get monthly IVIG infusions and everything changed for him when he started talking about it as getting his liquid gold. This was his liquid gold that helped him stay healthy and strong. So we also had this ability in these conversations over time to be able to frame this in the positive light that we see it as parents in order to keep them healthy. But yes, please do not talk about it on the way to the doctor. (laughs) Please don't talk about it um, just the day before. We're like, yep, but because it's not only, hey, we're going to do this, but there are ways we can make this we can make this better and a better experience for you and me. And I'm so proud of you that you get to show yourself how brave and strong you can be to take care of yourself. Because you're exactly right. You know, we are immensely privileged to be living in a time and environment where, you know, life saving medicine is available to everyone. Um, And, you know, that's what we should be. uh, That's what we should be emphasizing as opposed to it's so easy for casual language, especially when you're trying to be a bit flippant. To be yeah. quite negative, oh, the mean old doctor with his nasty needle. But essentially, what you're doing is making a potentially already scary situation even worse. Whereas if you just change that language a little bit, then you're going to totally change the way that they're perceiving it. Exactly. And the research would tell you too. Thank you for bringing that up. This is a very common thing. Parents are like, well, I don't know why the mean nurse is going to give you that poke. And they're trying to kind of take responsibility off themselves. But instead, what we're doing is a totally setting up a dynamic that the healthcare people are somehow our enemy and they're out to hurt you, which of course is the opposite of what we want, that they're going to have to do some things that might be uncomfortable or hard, but they are in your best interest. They want to keep you healthy and strong. And also as a parent, that same sense of helplessness that leads us to say things like that also is infectious of our kids, right? Like we don't want to feel helpless in that situation. That's why so much of kind of the work we do as an organization is about parents and families going in 
feeling prepared and feeling like they have what they need to tackle the situation. Because when we look at trauma, it's really about feeling helpless, uncertain, and incompetent in the face of a perceived stressor, whatever that is, whether that's on a battlefield or in a pediatrician's office. And when we can walk in feeling like, I know what to do, I know what to expect, and I know how to handle this situation, then not only is this situation going to go better and we get to feel better as parents, kids get to feel better, the provider gets to feel better because no medical provider got into the business to make kids cry, but also we're just setting the stage for so much of a better future. And you know, we all know those people, like the person you can think of right now, you know, full-grown adult who doesn't do doctors. And how much we worry about them. Well, what if that thing is something worse? What if they need to get that blood test? But they don't do doctors because of those early experiences they had when they were three, four, five, six years old. And so that's what we know we can prevent so everything goes better. So in terms of the sort of longer term approach, that conversation is really important. That reminding them like the total opposite of that. We're not going to mention it until we're last minute. It's just saying, remember, you know, next week we're going to go to the doctor. You're going to have your vaccination. Then tomorrow we're going to go and giving them this idea that, you know, they're consenting to it as in, you know, pitching it so that it's something that they're so lucky to have. But what about if you've got a child who's just really scared? Is there anything else you can talk to them? Because I mean, I get it. The idea of a needle going into your arm, I mean, I didn't have my ears pierced because I think it's crazy to put holes in your body unnecessarily. <laughs> so I was definitely quite a hard child to, to convince of the importance. But I do remember that absolute fear of the needle going in. And then, of course, it was totally fine. But it was that proper fear. And it wasn't me making a mountain out of a molehill. I was genuinely scared of the anticipation of the, uh, of the needle going in. Is there anything else that we can do for the child that is really fearful of just that concept? Yes, absolutely. First of all is to validate that fear. Okay. Cause it is really common and it does like we'll tell people one of these words we'll use is bother because it doesn't actually hurt very much to have the needle go it in, but it bothers us a lot. And that is part of that whole experience. And so the worst thing we can do, and I've watched providers do this and watch parents, they'd be like, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. But when we tell someone who's truly scared that it's no big deal, all we've told them is that they don't get it, right? Is that I don't get it. I should totally not feel safe. It'll raise my anxiety because the person I'm dealing with who's supposed to protect me and keep me safe clearly doesn't know what the situation really is. So the first thing we can do is say, you know what, you're right. There's a lot of people who are really scared. Actually, you know, one of, and there's all these celebrities that have talked about it, which I love. Um, Prince Harry has talked about how scared he is of needles. Um, talk about my dream of like being able to chat with him and get him to talk to people for the next you know? <laughs> But that to validate it, but then the flip side of that, but here's the great deal. We know this is something you don't want to do because it feels really scary and hard. So we're going to work on having a plan together to do things to make this much more comfortable and much better for you. But you and I are going to come up with a plan and we've got some really fantastic strategies and there's doctors that just look at how to make this easier. And so we're going to do that. So it's this validation of that fear and anxiety because it is really true paired with and we've got some stuff to deal with it. And ideally, you know, all kids have had hard experiences. Like, do you remember how hard it was to go on that first day of school? Or do you remember when you fell off your bike and that hurt really badly, but then we recovered? Though we have what we call in psychology world, previous mastery experiences. When we've seen our kids be resilient and we're reminding them of that. So we want to also then come up with our plan. So, and also remembering that what feels so hard about that, and you might remember this from being a kid, is that choice equals power. It feels powerless to be in that situation. So every time we can give kids choice, we are giving them power. And when we do that, our anxiety goes down. Like, would you like the poke in this arm, in this arm? You know, we want to talk about distraction and you know how powerful you are. You know how when you're watching that movie and it takes me like 10 times calling your name to get your attention, it's like your ears turn off. You know what? Your ears did turn off. And we want everything else to turn off. So guess what? You can watch whatever you want, not only during the poke, but in that really important anticipatory phase that you just mentioned. 
the whole ride in the car on the way there, why we're sitting in the waiting room, why we're waiting. You can zone out and ignore everyone. And you already know how well that works because you do it all the time. <laughs> so now we're going to do it on purpose to help you feel better, right? That we are phrasing these things in a way that they can have power. And you might, great, which, what do you want to watch, right? Oh, we're going to use numbing cream. That's the stuff we can put on your skin so you don't even have to feel the poke. Would you like to use that? We can use things like vibration, which, so it turns out that to have a pain experience has to actually enter your brain. Your brain is mission control, as we tell kids all the time. And so if that brain, that signal doesn't get to your brain, it doesn't hurt. So vibration, if there's a great little uh, product called the Buzzy Bee, which really works well for this. It causes vibration right there on the nervous system that we say and like causes a traffic jam of signals. So the signal doesn't ever reach your brain. It doesn't have to bother us. Let's check it out because the other thing we can do for all kids, but certainly for kids who are scared and actually younger when they have less language, we use play, right? We, that's how we use play to help them work it out that we practice doing this. This is when we're giving pokes to our stuffies. We are giving pokes to mom and dad. We are giving pokes to our siblings and we are practicing it. And we do that. We feel better and better because we feel prepared to do this, right? Oh, great. They're going to put, oh, we put on the numbing cream. Great. We're going to do what we call comfort positioning. So when you talked about not holding kids down, again, if I could ban anything from the planet, it would be that, but I totally get what happens, but we have to give an alternative. We can't just say, don't hold your kid down. Like, okay, well, what can I do when I have this feral child climbing the walls? Like, what do I do? Plus and, as a parent, you're always like, oh, I mustn't too take too much of the doctor's time. You know, we've only got 10 minutes here. So you're like, quick, hold them down. Why don't you just <laughs> shove it inside them? A hundred percent. Exactly. So that is actually one of the number one things when we were doing a lot of our initial research, we found one of the largest barriers was parents not feeling empowered to say anything in those doctor's offices. They were worried. It, it was across the board. It didn't remember matter where in the world this was. It didn't matter what socioeconomic status they had. Everyone was worried about this. We're going to make the doctor or nurse upset. And if we do, then they're not going to care for our kid in the same way. And then we have huge, you know, parent guilt on top of that. So a real no-win situation for everybody. So we do need to prepare to walk in, kind of prepare to ask for what we need. Hence that whole having a plan thing. And then we go in. Comfort positioning is one of the best because there are ways that we can hold our kids where they can be contained and safe. So that we, as we talked to them, like helping your body stay still so we can get the poke over and done with really fast. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um... But they also, when they feel your warmth, you know, we think about what is our first instinct as a parent when our kid is upset is to scoop them up in our arms and hold them, maybe pat the back, rock them back and forth. And those are really fantastic instincts. And we want to follow those instincts in that doctor's office too. There's a reason we do that. It's a very primal way that we calm our child and ourselves. We can take that deep breath and focus and we hold them and we can hug them. They can straddle in our lap. We have some fantastic comfort positioning guides on our website and we tell them we're sitting there holding them. We're talking to them. We're singing to them. We're rocking. We are comforting them and reminding them what a great and brave thing they're doing. That even if we're crying, even if we're upset, even if they're saying, I don't want to, that we can say things, you know, I know you don't want to buddy. I totally get that. And I'm so proud of you for doing it anyway, because I know this is so hard, but we know that you need to keep safe and healthy. So I'm really proud of you for doing this. I know it's tough and you're doing great. And we job. probably underestimate the power of that, you know, how comforting a parent or someone, you know, who's in a, who they trust, holding them, having that physical touch, having the time and being calm yourself, yeah. you know, how effective that is it's stunningly effective because we actually know that the largest predictor of a child's distress during medical procedures is the parents distress and sometimes i'll talk to parents about this and their initial reaction is like well is it my fault and i'm like no 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 what it is is that you have a beautiful connection with your kid let's leverage that okay <laughs> like good job 
gold star. Um, so what we want to do is work on focusing on ourselves. It's the very, you know, put the mask on yourself before your child thing in the airplane deal. But that is where also with you as a parent going in with a game plan helps you feel better. If you go in being like, God, this could be a total disaster. I have no idea. Then we're walking in, you know, amped up to the nth degree and our kids pick up on that. And we've sort of set the stage. We go in being like, all right, it's going to be tough. We can do this. We can do this. <laughs> it's on the list of, of parenting things where we're pep talking ourselves. Then we have literally set the stage for all of that to go much more smoothly for everyone. And it's probably worth, you know, practicing those positions. So I don't mean practicing them, but, you know, if your child is upset talking about the vaccines, giving them one of those hugs that, so that they're used to and they know how reassuring it is to be in that in that mm-hmm. position. Absolutely. So you think about why, especially little kids, why do they like to play the same thing over and over again? Why do we like to watch the same movie over and over again as every parent who's watched Frozen 20,000 times knows? They like that because it is predictable. They know what will happen and they like that. It is comforting. And so that practice is important. Being like, hey, you know what? When we go to the doctor tomorrow to get our poke, let's practice again. Remember, you climb in my lap and I'm going to hold you like this and I'm going to, you know, snuggle you. And which song do we want to sing? Oh, you are my sunshine. Great. I will sing you are my sunshine. You're going to watch Peppa Pig or Bluey or whatever it is. And then it'll be over in a snap. Great. Good job. Oh, let's do it one more time. How, what a brilliant job you did. Fantastic. So that repetition and expectation, again, it goes along with everything else we know about little kids and toddlers and parents and ourselves when we're really upset. What do we want to do when we're really in a hard place? We just want it predictable. We want to watch that movie we've seen 20,000 times because there's exactly zero surprises. So we know this. So that's really such a huge message we want to give parents is our natural instincts is really what we want to follow. And you have them. They kind of get lost in the shuffle sometimes of the anxiety or expectations that we think doctors have. But really, you know what you're doing. And I want to go back. You mentioned numbing cream, which actually I've, I remember they used it on my daughter when they had to do a blood test, which for her was terrifying because, of course, the big needle actually goes in and stays in and she could hardly yeah. cope with that. But it does seem to make a massive difference. I mean, it's pretty effective, isn't it, numbing cream? It's stunningly effective. It's one of the top recommendations by the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Canadian Academy of Pediatrics. The World why Health is it not universally used? I mean, I- Why? I literally started a nonprofit because of that problem. Um, (laughs) It is an excellent question. It's really not very expensive. It's not hard to get a hold of. One of the number one shocking things to parents is you can get it over the counter. You can go into a drugstore and buy it, Um, which you should, by the way, do if you're, uh, if your medical provider doesn't do it because it can take a little bit of time to work. It can take about 20 minutes to 30 minutes to become effective. But it is wildly effective for a couple of reasons. One, it does actually do what it says. It numbs the skin. But it also psychologically is you are doing something, right? So when you go in and you put on that big glob of numbing cream and you put the bandage or saran wrap or tagaderm over it to hold it in place, it's a security blanket, right? It is a, I am doing something. I don't have to feel my poke. I know where it's going to go. I know that mom and dad are doing things to help me feel better. I know the doctor is going to say, great job, good work taking care of yourself. So it's really, really effective, not only physically, but psychologically. So it is that is actually, by the way, one of the reasons why there's sometimes pushback of providers is there's a time lapse in between when you put it on and when it's effective. Although, by the way, there are types where you can. So there's a fantastic product called JTIP which actually aerosols, it uses air pressure to push um, a powdered version of lidocaine into the skin. So it's like instantaneous numbing, Um, much harder to find. Again, if I had my way, it would be like passed out like candy on street corners. Um, But that is where if you have it ahead of time or you walk into the doctor's office and they have it and you're sitting in the waiting room and you put it on, great. So I've helped lots of hospitals and major medical um, organizations figure out just how does it fit into a protocol, right? So walk in, hand them numbing cream, put it there. By the time they get in the room and get the poke, it's a half hour later anyway. (laughs) Here we are. Good. 
but it's usually that time lapse that gets pushed back. But as parents, we can just get it ourselves and put it on before we leave home because it does work for a few hours. So there's a very big window of efficacy, um, but you just need a little bit of lead time. And how effectively does it work? Can you feel nothing or does it just reduce the pain that they feel with the injection? With the injection, it usually, I mean, you can't feel it going into the skin. It'll depend because there are injections that are more painful just in terms of how much fluid is going into the muscle. And um, anyone who's had multiple inoculations knows that there's some uh, that are just more painful than others by volume where it goes in the muscle versus the fat. But it does a ton to reduce that anxiety. So the surface is typically completely and totally numb. And that's really where our anxiety starts. And presumably, if you've got a really anxious child, you know, one, it's sort of acknowledging that it does hurt, which, you know, I remember as a child going, it hurts. And, you know, people were like, it doesn't stop being a baby. And, you know, of course, then you're going to be like, well, I don't believe a word you say now, because I know it hurts. Yes. I know it's psychological as well, but it does hurt. Yes. Um, can you try it out? I mean, if you've got it at home anyway, can you say, listen, I'm going to show you this at work. So maybe even the night before or the week before, go, let's try it. Let's give it half an hour. And then yes. I'm just going to stick a pen, Just, but you literally will not feel the pen. And I guess that then will give them the kind of realization that this this stuff works. Exactly. No, it's a brilliant idea. So this is often we do with both numbing cream and also vibration is to demonstrate how that works. Like Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Check it out. Your skin feels different. Like, yeah, like using a pen cap using a paperclip, whatever, where we do a light scratch on the skin and they're like, wait, whoa, that's crazy. And you're like, yeah, it is. It's amazing. And when we tell kids it hurts. So the truth is, is that sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. I completely agree that we do not lie to children. All it does again. Oh, look, these people who have power and control over me, I can no longer trust these people who want to stick needles in me. I can no longer trust. This does not do anything to improve the situation. But the phrasing that I will train providers to use when people ask, like, will it hurt? And we can in fact be like, it might hurt. It might bother you a little. It might bother you a lot. Or it might not bother you at all. I don't know. But any which way, I know that the things you're going to do are going to make it better. Mm, that makes so absolute sense. So we've allowed for those, because again, I don't know, even with like the COVID vaccine is actually not a painful. It's actually a very not painful vaccine when we're looking at it. And so a lot of people get it and don't even feel it. And so we don't want to create the expectation that it absolutely will, but we don't want to deny the possibility that it could. And so allowing for that range of experiences really, really helps because, and again, and any which way, these are the things that are going to make it better. We've yeah, you're up. right. It, it allows us to quantify hurt because, you know, in comparison to falling off the slide, it's going to hurt a, a lot less than that. And so you'd almost kind of use a different word to describe that kind of level of pain because you're right. It's, it bothers you because you don't like the idea of it probably more than anything else. You really don't. And, you know, it's funny. That's an example I often use is when you talk about the fact that we are all really good at ignoring pain. And kids know this all the time. So I'll ask them, I said, you know what? Have you ever had a bruise at the end of the day? And you have no idea how it got there. And every kid is like, yeah, totally. I'm like, so you got such a bump that you got a bruise. Like that's kind of a big, that's a big bump, but you didn't even notice. And you didn't notice because your brain knew you didn't need to notice. And you were so focused on having fun, playing soccer or whatever it was, doing your thing, playing football, 
that you didn't notice. And that's how good your brain is at paying attention to other things. So you already have the superpower of turning off pain signals. Now we want to do that on purpose. And so when we talk about distraction, that's what it is. Because we truly are changing the way we process pain signals. It's not just I didn't pay attention to it. It is literally change in the what we call nociception in the dorky science world. And we're changing the entire experience. So I'm like, so you do this all the time. So I guarantee you, I said, if your you know, brother or sister came and punched you hard enough to get a bruise, do you think that would hurt? <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. I'm like, absolutely. But you were playing all day and didn't even know where you got your bruise. So it's pretty amazing. So you already had this superpower that you didn't even know you have. So I'll tell kids all the time. I'm like, I'm kind of a cheater. And I'm a cheater because I'm going to teach you about superpowers you already have. I'm going to teach you to do something you already know how to do. I'm just going to teach you to do it on purpose. It makes me think about, you know, women wearing high heels, which genuinely are way more painful than vaccines. A hundred percent. Poke me the arm all day. A hundred percent. Provide no immune boosting. No immune boosting <laughs> whatsoever. But it's also, that's actually a great example. Because we talk about like, the moment you start attending to that, right? When you are wearing those high heels and you're like, huh, I think I'm getting a blister, but I'm not sure because I haven't looked, right? But then you look and there is a blister, your pain experience, you you experience the pain. And it is such a look at what we call the biopsychosocial model of pain. So that is how we think of pain. We know that phrase like really makes people want to stop listening. We say biopsychosocial. But really what we're saying is it's a biological experience to have pain. It's a highly emotional experience to have pain, which is what when we're talking about procedures, but it's also a social experience, how people respond to us. So those things that you're talking about with being believed, not being lied to, being offered comfort, being validated, those things completely define that experience for kids too. And you mentioned vibrations. Um, I really like this. This, I mean, we use it actually in in labor. You know, there's a device called the TENS machine in the UK, which is, you know, something that electric, it's actually used for chronic back pain too. And, and yeah, exactly. it's a, it provides just electric stimulation, stimulation that interrupts the pain cells going from the uterus to the brain. And it's a really effective form of, of pain relief in the same you know, same vein as, you know, you whack your ankle against the table and immediately you'll just go and rub it better. And that rubbing does um, provide some kind of sort of pain distraction. How yeah. how does vibration work? Do you use it before? Do you use it after the, the injection? You use it, um, but so you need about 30 seconds before you're holding it onto the skin um, in between the poke and the brain. So as we say, so right above is close to you. If you're doing like blood test, um, what you do is you kind of hold it on where the blood test will be happening. And then you move it up to, so you're doing it on the actual site of the poke and then moving it up a little bit. And you're just keeping that on um, for the duration of the poke. And literally as long, because again, it also becomes kind of a security blanket, right? We want that on. So it feels good. So it feels good. And it is, you're correct. It works like a TENS unit does for back pain, for labor pain, for all of that huge fan, no side effects, great benefit. Yeah. And um, you mentioned a device that you said is really good. I'm going to see if you can get it in the UK and I'll, I'll put it on the show notes. But what was that device? Called the Buzzy Bee. Okay. Um, it was actually developed by a pediatrician who... Um, who also uh, is very interested in this as an issue, Dr. Amy Baxter, who's fantastic. Um, and um, you mentioned also then distraction, yes. which I think, again, is a great, t- I mean, I talk a lot about kind of pain of labor and natural techniques about, and, and distraction, I always tell pregnant women, you know, when your contractions start, try to ignore them, go and do something else, go to the cinema, go out shopping, go and tidy your whatever, whatever it is, just don't think about it. And they're like, it's like, terrible advice coming from an antenatal class but actually I do think that sort of distraction is really good to help you deal with with pain I mean I remember the total game changer when it came to me having injections was someone said really focus on wiggling your toes and you're so you know it's little toe big toe little toe then the middle toe and you're so you know so distracted by trying to move your toes that you 
it's done and dusted before you knew about it. It's over. So just be clear, I think it's brilliant advice that you're giving them because it it truly is. What we're doing is we're taking our focus and putting it somewhere else. So one of the ways I love to demo this to kids and parents, and I love when I meet with them, I'll talk to the child and you know the parents, of course, listening in as they should. And I'll say, okay, let's run a cool experiment. So I want you to pay attention to how your toes feel in your shoes. And everyone instinctually starts wiggling their toes in their shoes. And I said, and the weird thing about toes is that they're never turned on. They're turned on now because we are talking about them, but 99% of the time you never feel your toes. So you got your toes. Cool. Great. All right. Then I want you to pay attention to the way your back feels on the chair. Do you feel that? And they'll sit there and pause and focus and say, yeah, okay, cool. And then I'm like, okay, great. Now I want you to pay attention to whatever their hand is holding. So I want you to pay attention to your hand touching the chair, whatever it is. Okay, cool. You got that? Yeah. Okay, good. Now I want you to pay attention to all three of those sensations at the same time. And for those listening, (laughs) she has the same reaction on your face that everyone's doing. And you're probably doing wherever you are listening to this, you instinctually do it. And the truth is, is you can't, you cannot pay attention. You can go toes back, hand, toes back, hand, toes back, hand. You can swing through them really quickly, but you cannot pay attention. We simply are not good at tuning to that information. So they're like, Oh, that's weird. I'm like, I know, isn't it weird? So when we pay attention to different sensations, when this is why like holding touch is so powerful, when you were taught to like attend to your toes, when we were, when a parent is holding a hand, so like nasal swabs with COVID tests were a big thing because it's really hard to ignore something that's literally in your face. Right. And that holding and pulling on fingers, like comfort, like squeezing and doing this to literally pull attention away from that part. So there's the physical altered sensation of I'm attending to a different body part and they literally can't attend to, <laughs> to the other thing. But then doing that on purpose again, I'm like, look, another superpower you didn't know you have pretty amazing, right? So check that out. And they're like, oh, that's weird. I'm like, yeah. And again, it's really effective with older kids who still have that anxiety, who start to have a lot of shame about this, right? They get, they know they're quote unquote too old for this, but it's really powerful and they can understand and see they're like, oh, that's so weird. I'm like, bodies are weird, man. It is crazy. It is really cool. And we can find these ways. So distraction. And again, even when you're in labor and you're going and to the cinema or deciding now is you're going to clean out your pantry or whatever it is. It is truly, truly helping to alter their experience of that pain. And presumably too, when you're relaxed, you feel less pain. So if you're kind of tensing your arm and you're watching that injection go in, it's going to feel more painful than if your arm was totally relaxed and you were focusing on something else. How effective is breathing, um, getting children to breathe? I know that it's hugely effective in in labor, but is it as effective with, with children? It is brilliantly effective. So it is one of the things that we teach them to do. We actually have some coaching videos also on our website, um, but anything works. The other thing with small kids, which is really effective, is blowing bubbles or pinwheels. Because it is hard for small children just physiologically understand taking a deep breath. It's a hard thing to explain. But in case you've tried to blow a pinwheel or blow bubbles, you can't do that (laughs) with a shallow breath. So it is a way that we get them. It's both distracting, right? Shiny object floating. So that's helpful. So there's the distraction aspect, but it's also the breath. And the other kind of phrase we use all the time is, oh, we're going to have spaghetti arms. We're going to have spaghetti arms where they're nice and loose and they're just like pieces of spaghetti at our side in order to get that relaxation. Because you're right, muscle tension is a recipe for increased pain. It literally dials up pain signals. And the more we can have relaxation, the more we can let that body relax and loosen. So even like when we're doing that comfort positioning to be able to say, Oh, do you feel how nice and relaxed my muscles are? Oh, it's so great. How nice and relaxed your muscles are getting, how they feel a little bit heavy, but nice, heavy. That's so fantastic. Right. We're, our power of our language to suggest their experience is profound. Mm, absolutely. Now, obviously, a lot of uh, va- the routine vaccinations happen before children are verbal, before they um, 
are, you know, you're able to reason with them. What about for babies? I mean, I know that a lot of intervention is done in infants with no anesthetic whatsoever, because there's this idea that they don't feel pain in the same way that we do, that they're born with natural pain relievers. Um, But, you know, trauma is trauma. And we know how important those first thousand days are. What can we do to make any kind of intervention or vaccines easier for our babies? Well, First of all, we absolutely should. So some of the myths that you mentioned that are really unfortunately still around, but incredibly dangerous is the fact is some belief that babies don't feel pain, that if they do, they forget it. So it doesn't matter. So it's no big deal. Certainly, you know, I'm 47 years old. When I was a baby, had I needed major surgery as a baby, they would have paralyzed, but not anesthetized me. That's how pervasive an idea it was that Kids don't experience pain. Anesthesia is dangerous, quote unquote, and so don't do it. And so we literally, unfortunately, the mortality rate was high because the shock of those things. But what we know now is that those early pain experiences for newborns, particularly for preemies, is incredibly important and that we can damage their not yet fully cooked neurological system. So pain management is really, really important. And because they can't fight back and they're pretty easy to hold down, it often doesn't happen. So we really need parents to use their voice to be able to advocate. The great news is that honestly, it's very simple intervention. So for kids about six months and older, they can use numbing creams and those are helpful. For younger than that, the two most powerful interventions are skin to skin is really is that comfort and cuddling and also what we call glucose pacifiers. So they're literally just a passy dipped in sugar water 30 seconds before, 30 seconds after that poke, whether that's a heel stick or a blood test or a vaccination, all those very common early newborn procedures. It's really, really important because we literally have fMRI studies where we can watch their gray matter change. Now I experienced this, you know, I had a daughter in the NICU and um, I am not shy of retiring under the best of circumstances, let alone postpartum exhausted and like kid in the NICU. And I've worked in NICUs my entire career, but being on the other side of the bed, but all of a sudden she needed all these pokes and procedures. And at that time I was actually running, I was the clinical director of the pediatric chronic pain rehab program at Stanford. And I will tell you that about 75 to 80% of my kids in the chronic pain program for kids had painful procedures in the first few weeks after their birth. So I very much knew that not doing adequate pain management with those little babies can set them up for greater issues with pain, um, anxiety, depression, that that damage we really are doing to those not yet fully cooked neurological systems. But these very simple interventions, breastfeeding during vaccinations, if you happen to be breastfeeding, is very powerful. There's also myths about that that kind of hang around too much. So I have a lot of parents who want to go do that, and the nurse will sit there and say something like, oh, you don't want to do that. The baby could choke on the milk. Not true, not an issue. They're very resilient little people. They're not going to choke on the milk. Your baby knows how to pull off and cry. They know how to do those things. Or even worse, oh, you don't want to do that. Your baby's going to associate you with pain. Anyone who's ever been a parent, do you think that's going to be the thing that really breaks your attachment? It is absolutely not. What it does is you're creating that comfort and you're creating that that really space uh, for them to be able to co- to cope and recover really really quickly. So being able to breastfeed skin to skin when that's possible to be able to hold them. Please 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 do not let those them hold those babies down by themselves on a table on their backs. It is so not okay to do that. And that's what sometimes again parents will say, well we can't do it safely if you're holding them. This is not true. Again more than thrilled. Comfort positioning guides are on our (laughs) website. It is absolutely possible and absolutely essential. And so actually one of the things in our pain champions guide that we do in order to provide sort of digital backup for moms is one of the first things they do is ask if, uh, for your provider's email address. And when we do that, it sends them an email with the best practice guidelines of every major pediatric organization in the world and the world health organization guidelines So you're not just being 
a difficult parent who's coddling their child, really changing that kind of conversation to be like, why aren't you following the guidelines of every major peds organization in the world? And we both want the same thing. Like when, when parents feel, you know, uncertain about speaking up, to remind them, no one wants this to be a bad experience for this child. And you know your kid best, whether they're a little baby or a teenager or eight years old, to say, this is what's going to help. And this is going to, is what's going to make this go better for everyone. And I really appreciate you doing this. And if you're not breastfeeding, could you bottle feed your baby? You know, if you were doing the skin to skin, is, is that, would that potentially help as well? Yes. So that would also potentially be helpful again to skin to skin, the sucking. So it's the sucking. It is the, the skin to skin, that regulation that we know that little oxytocin release that for mom and baby, and it's the sugar. It is the sweetness of like breast milk formula. Ultimately the, the best we do know is, is glucose and sugar, but yep, all of this will absolutely help. And presumably, you know, in sort of reserved 21st century society, a lot of mums might feel really uncomfortable unbuttoning their shirt or taking their t-shirt off so they can do skin to skin. But what I would say is, you know, a doctor has seen so many different things or or a nurse or anyone. I mean, let alone just a body, you know, very much you're opening up your legs and they're having a good look to see if everything looks okay there. So don't feel self-conscious about going, if it's okay with you, I'm going to do some skin to skin with my baby. You know, you're not going to be at the waiting room at this stage. Yeah, you're you're gonna have to work hard to shock these people. So you're <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> it would be really rough to be like, hey, and again, you can say things be like we know skin to skin is a really pop recommendation for keeping them comfortable and pain-free during the poke. So I'm gonna hold them skin to skin while we do this, okay? And even be like, if it's all right with you, even becomes a, an opportunity for them to reject it. And so we do, again, pretending like we're talking to our toddler, the false choice. Of being like, Would you rather sit me, me to sit on the chair or up on the exam table while I hold her while you do the poke? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, either way, I'm holding her during the poke. Um, so it's funny, just to note that too, on the opposite side of that. So babies, they're used to that. But when kids are getting older, this is what they'll get. They're like, well, they're too old. You are never too old to be comforted by the people that you love and trust. And so I don't care if that is a 14-year-old climbing onto their parent's lap or that when we are in hospitals and I work with chronically ill kids, a parent will you know, sit on that bed behind them, sort of legs around and holding them. We're not sitting on laps anymore because we're too big. But that ability to envelop and hold someone, there is no age limit on that. And we really want to say that we, again, please, please, please take shame out of the picture when they're like, you're too old for this. But also there's no downside. You know, it's not like you're weighing up the risks versus the benefits. I mean, what are the risks that you look a bit babyish? I mean, for God's sakes. (laughs) I'm saying like there is absolutely zero negative side effects to this, right? You're like, no. I mean, even when adults, you know, it's funny. I was on a the CBS morning show, which is a big morning show here in the US, and my favorite part of getting interviewed by their medical correspondent was um she taught her husband is a really like well-known surgeon. And she talked about how he loves to have her come along when he has to get a flu shot to hold his hand and rub his back. And I loved it because that is it. Like that is that power of touch and connection to make that a more comfortable, better experience. And this is, you know, a surgeon who's married to a medical correspondent and a cardiologist. Like, so yes, these people know about procedures and medicine and pain. And it is a brilliant, easy, unbelievably powerful way to empower your child and yourself around their healthcare experiences. And also, you know, just because it's not medicalized doesn't mean it's not effective. You know, some of the most natural things are the most effective, which is why we do them consistently. You know, hugging and cuddling children is something we've done since the dawn of time. And, you know, we just stopped doing it if it wasn't, you know, useful in some way. Exactly. It is absolutely like it's our number one trauma response. When you see people are traumatized, the first thing they do is start rocking. It's why the first instinct that we have when we pick up a baby, no matter who we are, is to start rocking and patting. It is our most primal and incredibly powerful instincts. 
Well, Jodie, this has been so interesting and so empowering and um, so great that we've had this chat. I absolutely love what you're doing too with the Meg Foundation for Pain. I would encourage anyone listening to this to check it out because it's got a load of interactive videos and questions um, for parents and children. So if you've got a nervous, you know, eight-year-old or 12-year-old or 52-year-old, there is something on there for everyone. But I think it's such a powerful skill to be able to talk about pain, to be able to manage pain, to be to deal with the sort of anticipation of uncomfortable procedures. And if you can teach your child to have the tools to deal with that, essentially that is one of the best things that they'll have for their lives. It really is. And I so appreciate you saying that because that's really that goal. It's to, to set the stage for things going well forever. And uh, so, yes, just to mention, we do, we have tools for uh, small kids with super meg uh, interactive little piece of tech. And then we have one for parents. We also have one for adults. Um, thanks to the pandemic, we created one of those. We're about to launch uh, one specifically for teenagers as well. So that we, we got the message loud and clear that super meg was too babyish and adult two was too boring. So we've created uh, one just for teens and that'll be out very soon as well. And they are all freely available. We also, by the way, have a provider kit. So if you wanted to, which also reviews all the research that is easily um, downloadable. It's also an ebook that you could also send to your providers um, as you're advocating, which teaches providers how to incorporate them into their own workflows to, again, improve the experience for providers as well. We are very big supporters of healthcare workers and want their jobs to be easier and better as well. Well, thank you so much for doing the work that you do. Um, you can um, just search for Meg Foundation for Pain. Otherwise, it's megfoundationforpain.org. Highly, highly recommend having a look. Jodie, thank you so much for taking your uh, time to, to speak to us today. Um, and thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Jodie and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.